Hello and welcome to the Top 250 Podcast. Today, our movie is It's a Wonderful Life, and I have a special guest. You've heard him before. We both did 12 Angry Men, and now he's back. Dad, we finally watched It's a Wonderful Life together after all these years. After all these years, that's right. It's always on NBC, right, every year? It's it's on NBC. I think NBC eventually bought the rights, but it was in the public domain for uh, many years. Uh, after uh, the initial release, it didn't do very well in the box office, and uh, what happened was uh, the uh, film, the film's rights originally with the Republic Films or Republic uh, Pictures uh, expired. Their rights to the film expired and then it went into the public domain and I, I don't think that it was instantly picked up by a lot of people but over the years it was kind of a, a became more and more of a, a known Christmas film and people uh, would watch it more and more and uh, and then it, it was discovered that it was a, a it, nobody had the rights to it which meant that anybody could uh, actually uh, any television um, station or any uh, broadcast, uh, company could actually pick it up and view it uh, because uh, nobody had uh, the specific rights to it. Right, so it was on TV a lot then. It showed all the time. So it would constantly show on TV by multiple stations and it was com it was completely saturated around Christmas time. And I think that there were uh, there were some people that realized that this was a cultural gem, that there was um, a need for this um, this movie to be protected because the movie itself had a, a lot of historic presence to it, and uh, you know it really shouldn't just be out there for anybody to show it. And uh, and as Sam, as you alluded to it, I believe NBC actually bought the rights to the movie, which then meant that they would only be showing it for a respectable few times during the holiday season and not be all over the place by every station. Right. Yeah, because when we were looking up the movie, I noticed there was... A completely different edition called the legend edition and it, it seemed like that version actually takes out all the supernatural elements of, of the movie which I guess would you could still have a story from that but so I think that all the supernatural stuff really like hits it home and like like gives the film a lot more heart I'd say. Hmm. Yeah, 
And uh, I, I suppose when you don't show the full movie uh, in its original showing, that you are not violating any of the uh, any of the rights to the original movie. Yeah, it could um, be that. And I'm sure that's how uh, some um, broadcasting companies uh, circumvent uh, the restrictions to it. Uh, but you don't want to uh, take out any portions of this movie because every piece of this movie is a build-up to uh, the ending. And there are it's like a piece of a puzzle that you have to keep putting in place and you need each piece in order to see what the end of the puzzle looks like. So to take out any pieces of this movie would mean that you would be missing pieces of a puzzle, and that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it, it's a 90-minute buildup, really. I didn't realize the buildup was that long. I thought, I actually thought the whole movie might have taken place on in one day because... Every time I would see you watching it, it would be towards the end of the movie. And I, ju I just assumed, like, most of the movie, maybe he's he's in that world where, oh, if I wasn't born, this is what everything would be like. I, I didn't realize there was all this, you know, uh, backstory at the beginning. Um, it start, I, didn't, I didn't realize it starts with him. Is he in high school at the beginning of the movie? Is he yeah. graduating high school? Well, I mean, actually, the beginning of the movie is really the ending of the movie. Um, he's in trouble uh, financially, and that's where um, the angel, Clarence, is uh, is called to uh, help out uh, this person on Earth. Uh, and he has to understand... Uh, who he is and and what his life represented so they use the movie for Clarence to understand who uh, George Bailey is um, which is a really clever way of, of uh, the audience to understand who George Bailey is uh, and that's how you 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 pick up where um, he is as a 12 year old uh, boy and it takes you through different stages. Actually, the the early stages is uh, is very quick in the movie, and it brings him to when he is uh, an, a young man, and he's ready to take off to go to travel to go to college, and um, you know, with each segment, there is a uh, there's always something that will pull him back into not not being able to leave that town of Bedford Falls mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and and that's what frustrates him in the end is that he feels like he has never been able to fulfill all of the dreams that he wanted to do throughout his life yeah something always comes up so when he meets um his wife. Mary's a sister of one of his friends, uh, Marty. Marty was one of his friends that he hung around with. Oh, yeah. Uh, as, you know, the, like the gang that would hang around uh, as school kids. 
and Mary was a younger sister. And he always looked at Mary as just, you know, the younger sister. Right, the kid. And she was uh, in the shop at the beginning of the movie. And she was in the In the pharmacy, the pharmacy at the beginning. Right. What, what was up with the poison? So there's, there's a part of the movie where George works in a pharmacy for Mr. McGower. Um, He's a kid. Uh, He's 12, 12 yeah, actually, 13. Not, not McGower. Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. So um, Mr. Gower um, had received a telegram earlier that day that his son had died from influenza, which was a very common thing at the time. This was uh, around 1919, 1920, yeah. which was the Spanish flu that was right. occurring with a, a lot of people, very similar to what COVID is happening yeah, basically today. what's happening 100 uh, years later. And it was devastating back then. So he was grieving the loss of his son but he was also, as a pharmacist, he was fulfilling a prescription for a customer. And um, George, uh, as part of his job, would deliver the uh, whatever the um, the medical um, needs were to um, to those customers. When he, he was uh, actually getting ice cream for Mary young Mary, who was sitting at the fountain booth, uh, he saw the notice from the Western Union. And when uh, Mr. Gower uh, asked him to um, do the delivery, he noticed that there was uh, a bottle of poison that was by the prescription uh, medicine that he was going to deliver. And he was really concerned about that. And he wanted to probe a little bit more with Mr. Gower, but Mr. Gower was just so out of it. He was still, his mind was elsewhere. So he wanted to, he figured he can talk to his dad about it. And when he ran to um, the building and loan a company that his dad uh, uh, was uh, working at, he wasn't able to get the answer from his dad because his dad was busy dealing with the richest man in town who was always trying to go after him, and they were always fighting about money and and power and and control and so forth. So he never got the answer about what do I do here? Because I think there's something wrong with this prescription. I think there's something, I think there's poison in these pills and I don't want to give it to a, uh, I don't want to deliver it to this customer. He ended up going back to the pharmacist at the, right when he did that, the uh, Mr. Gower had received a telephone call from the customer saying they weren't delivered yet. And Mr. Gower at this point who was probably drinking um, fairly heavily at this point uh, said, I, "I don't know why. I don't know why they weren't delivered. They will be there as soon as possible." Uh, George walked up to him, and Mister Gao said, "What's what's going on here? Why didn't you deliver them?" And he brought him into the back room, and he proceeded to hit him a few times. He hit him in his left side of his head, which is his bad ear. 
Um, but he finally did tell Mr. Gower that there was something wrong with the pills, that there uh, he thinks that there's poison in them, and that's why he did not want to deliver them. And Mr. Gower grabbed the box, and he actually um, pulled apart one of the pills and put it to his tongue, and he actually did realize that there was poison in one of those in in the pills. So he made a huge mistake then. So and if and if they were delivered, surely whoever was going to take those pills would have died. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I I I was a little confused. I wasn't sure if uh, is it Mister Gower. Mr. Gower. Yeah, I I wasn't sure if he was like uh, distraught or something. If he was like thinking of committing suicide over getting that letter, I thought maybe that was the reason at first. I didn't, I didn't catch that at the beginning. Yeah, that was his son. His son had died from influenza. Yeah. yeah. So you know that was a you know that was going to be one of the segments that you would see later on in the film. You know, um, if George was not there. Mm-hmm. If he did not, if he was never born. Oh, does that show up? At- uh, oh, yes, because when uh, he's in what he thought was Martini's, it's now Nick's bar. Uh, and and Mr. Gower shows up uh, at the bar. Oh, he's the, he's the homeless guy? Yes. Oh, okay. And he's like, hey, that guy went to jail for 20 years for for poisoning. I, I, I don't know whether it was a boy or something like that. Oh. And if oh. you know him, then you must be a jailbird as well. Oh. I and see. that's how they kicked him, uh, him and Clarence out of the um, bar. Wow. Wow. So all this is building up to something. And it takes like almost a, a, a movie's length. To build up to this uh, this supernatural twist here, yeah. So it it all ties in mm-hmm. to you know the things that you touch in life and the effect that you have on other people um, when you don't even think that you have an effect on other people. If that is if that were to never exist, there actually is. A result in life when when that is taken away and that's what this movie shows so if he were to never live then he was never there to stop mr. Gower from delivering those pills which then meant that somebody actually died from from taking poison and that's why mr. Gower went to jail right what did you think? So we watched the color version of it. What, not the same. Yeah. So, and the color version adds a little bit of a painting type version to it. it you know, it, it 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 you can see the the colors of the clothes and and some colors of the uh, the you know the cars and and. The bells uh, and the and yeah and at the beginning yeah, but I I really think that this movie is much more powerful as a black and white movie uh, because the the delivery uh, is meant to be much more of a uh, 
of a, of a movie that is um, a, a, a lesson to be learned and not necessarily a artistic expression, if you will, of a movie. And black and white seems to give it a much more powerful message when it is uh, when it's delivered as uh, as more of a, uh, a, 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 a more of a somber type of uh, setting. Yeah, like a bleak, bleak yeah. setting. Yeah, yeah. I think it because works it, with the snow. It, it really. It, I mean, think about it now. Th- the premise of this movie is a man ready to commit suicide. Right. right. And, and here is a, a, a man who has a beautiful wife. He has four kids. Uh, he may not think that he has been successful, um, but he literally knows every single person in town. And he has been the only person who has been able to avoid and evade the the strong arm of the most uh, powerful and richest person in town, who owns everything else, mm-hmm. and they and that was made very clear when uh, he actually was brought into Mister Potter's office, and we're talking about Mister Potter. We, we when he was brought into his office and Mr. Potter even said you own the 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 building and loan and I own everything else and uh it it frustrated Mr. Potter so much that he could not get that peace he couldn't get him to give in he could not get that peace of of um of t- of whatever was left in town to um to be under his power and it was that piece that the building and loan did that allowed people to get out of being uh in squalor rentals that that potter um owned and be able to go into actually owning their homes in um bailey uh, park in in bailey park that they that that uh potter knew were worth twice as much as what the baileys built them at but that was that was a way of 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 the baileys getting them out of those rentals and being able to have these families be part of owning a piece of American dream, which is to have their own home. And that was a very, very important part of, um, of, of um, society, you know, uh, at that time, it's particularly right after the war, that everybody wanted to have their own piece of the American dream. Because most people back then rented uh, they did not have single-family homes. Oh, and, really? And it was that. It, well, there was after the war. All these servicemen, they when they came home, they wanted their own homes. They wanted their own. Um, they wanted their own uh, uh, houses, 
um, because they felt that they earned it. They they went after, they they fought in the war and they they survived, and they wanted their own families. They wanted their own homes, and that that's actually where all of the suburban America became uh, a big part of of the American landscape was after the war. Now this is but, when highways were starting to get built and well, everything then as well. And, and, and shopping malls. Yeah. Because uh, everybody moved out of the city. But but the the, the thing with uh, within Bedford Falls is that you know the Baileys realized that the only way that people were going to be able to own a part of the American dream was for them to give them the opportunity to do that and financing. But I'm sure that down payments were extremely low and they were able to set mortgages at rates that allowed them to be able to um, financially handle it. So what what happens with the bank and, um, and that scene where everyone's coming inside demanding money? Is this around the stock market crash? Is that why? They, yeah, they don't no, have well, I think any. Was, I actually think that was a little after the the crash. Okay. Um, but they had bank runs back then, um, and 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 every now and then when they have a bank run, that means that people get panicky, and they uh they want to they they just everybody wants their money at once. They're called bank runs. Yeah, they're called bank runs, and uh, everybody wants their money at once. Uh, and they get nervous because they don't know if they're going to be able to get their money uh, if the bank closes. And uh, in that particular scene, uh, what they were doing is uh, there was a it happened to be a bank run. Um, some there must have been some sort of a financial situation that occurred that uh, people f- felt. Uh, a need to uh, to go out and and, uh, and felt the need to run to the banks and get their money, uh, or, or or they were nervous about the money that was in their banks, and the scene with George um, talking to the the people who had accounts at the the building alone, he was trying to explain to them that I don't physically have the money here at the bank, the money is in everybody else's house everybody else's mortgage and it's the payment of the mortgage that then keeps the bank solvent and everybody's paying back the mortgage is what allows the bank to then loan out money to other people who want to buy a house and want to get a mortgage Uh, so um, he was trying to explain that but the the real message to that whole scene was that um, Potter was taking that uh, situation and turning it into an opportunity for him to take over whatever he did not own at the time in town. And that was an opportunity for him to pick up that other bank that was panicking. And uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a scene where that the 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 head of the bank was in front of him when he was on the telephone talking to George, saying that he's willing to take over that bank, at and and give them fifty percent on the dollar. Right. And that guy who was sweating, 
um, he knew that he, that was he, he had to succumb to him because he was just not going to be able to survive. Right, he did right. That. And he was trying to do the same thing to George. Right, that's yeah. right. Um, and George tried to explain to everybody that if we if we if we succumb to to ba- to Potter, we, we're all going to be um, subservient to him. He's going to own us all. And 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 he said, "Don't you see? He's not he's not trying to." Um, uh, help us out he's he's buying to, to, to control all of us so but it, he survived that day to um um i think what did they have two dollars left to put back into yeah, the vault to use his honeymoon money yeah and uh it allowed them to uh to to live another day as a as, as an entity and uh, avoid uh um uh, avoid uh, closing down. So, yeah, that was a that was a very interesting thing. But the sad part is, it was also his wedding day, and they were ready to take off on their honeymoon. And what they ended up doing was using the honeymoon money that they had in cash to pay the people who were looking for money that day uh, and needed cash. They used their own honeymoon money to give people the cash so that they wouldn't leave the building alone. They would still keep their account there. All right. That was just another version of him not being able to leave town. Yeah, that was that was the third time he was unable to leave town. The second time was when so his brother was off in the war or was he yeah he was off in the the war uh nope that was college that was oh college college yeah so the the first time was he was ready to uh, george was ready to take off to college Mm -hmm. and his father then died oh yeah then his, his father passed away yeah and they made a plea um george made a plea for them to say look if there's anything that still needs to happen in this town is that this building alone needs to stay in existence to, to stand up against Potter because Potter owns everything else, basically. And uh, the uh, the board members all agreed on that, and but they wanted George to be the head of the board. And George was like, no, 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 I'm leaving. I'm going I'm going away. I'm going off to college. And they said, but don't you understand if you don't take it, then they're going to vote for Potter to take it. And that's when he knew he was stuck again. He was cornered. Mm-hmm. So he took, he gave the college money to, to Harry, and Harry went to college. Harry became a sports star. Uh, Harry met a, a, a girl in college, and ended up marrying her. And when then, he came, then and her brother had a plastic company, and and, and he gets him the a deal job. was is that when he came back from finishing college, then he was gonna take o- he was gonna help with the building and loan, and George was then gonna go to college. Right. Harry ended up wanting to uh, 
when when his new wife told George about this opportunity to work for the family in Buffalo in this uh, plastic and glass uh, research company, then again, George felt that he was going to get in the way of an opportunity for his brother, and he then felt compelled to just stay in Bedford Falls and let Harry um, go off on his... uh, on his opportunity in life. And you said uh, this was the first movie that Jimmy Stewart did after he was in World War II? Yeah, so he he was actually at the peak of his uh, career in Hollywood. What was the last movie he did before going to war, do you know? I actually don't know that. Um, we can look it up. Um, I, I, I mean, I was trying to see if I could find that. Uh But he he really didn't need to go to war. He no he he could have very easily have stayed uh, in Hollywood um, because he would have, you know, he would have received you know uh, a, a pass, and he could have you know gone over and entertained the troops or something like that, like a lot of other, uh, um, a lot of other uh, entertainers uh, did uh, during the war. Uh, instead of actually being in in combat, but he really did feel a need to uh, to actually serve in the war because his grandfather and his father uh, served in 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 the wars, in previous wars, oh, okay. and he wanted to um, he wanted to honor that, uh, and he and he did, so he left Hollywood. I think it was in 1942. Uh, and was in the war, and when he came back in 1945, he was very unsure about his career, and um, you know whether or not um, he was going to be able to go back into Hollywood. Um, you know, three years later, three years is a, is a long time. Well, it looks to, like the the last movie he did before going to war was Zagfield Girl. And I mean, never even heard of it. And what year was that? 1941. And then... Yeah. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, because he went into the service in 42. Yeah. And before that was Pot of Gold. I don't know some of these. But he was was definitely an A-list actor at that point. Was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? That was another Frank Capra film. Okay. Frank Capra was... uh, it's a Wonderful Life, yeah. That's okay. why Fink, Fink Capper, um was interested in him for this movie. Right. Uh, so when Frank Capra um, talked to him about this movie, uh, you know, some of the uh, initial um, feeling about this was that, Jesus, it's kind of dark, you know. I don't know if you're going to find, uh, you know, a lot of people that are going to be interested in something like this. And he had brought it up to James, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart said, you're talking about somebody who's, uh, who's, who's depressed and thinking about suicidal and they're meeting their guardian angel? He said, when do I start? He, knew ex- he, j- he just knew about the, the powerful messages that were part of this movie. 
Um, and he um, did not hesitate. He thought this was the movie that was going to be the right movie for him to, to go back to Hollywood. And what you know, what's interesting about this movie is um, it cost quite a bit to produce it. And the reason why it cost quite a bit to produce it is because it was filmed in California, uh, but the movie supposedly takes place in Bedford Falls, New York, which is uh, supposed to uh, mimic, uh, uh, you know, upstate New York. And, you know, it's supposed to be uh, uh, Seneca Falls, New York. And, you know, that's a nice place up in the Finger Lakes region, uh, which is uh, uh, in uh, middle upstate New York. And uh, that's what inspired Frank Capra to, um, to use the, to model the town after. And uh, the... The snow uh, that was used was one of the first uh, movies to actually use a different type of... Um, like substance? Uh, yeah, because um, obviously when you're in uh, Los Angeles in April, it is hot. And when they used to use um, what was used previously... Um, the it, it, the snow would uh, um, stick on things and it would look very unnatural. Uh, and I think what they started using this time was a combination of whatever they used previously, but they also used soap flakes. Right. Yeah. It gave it a real slushy yeah, type of and, feel. And and that actually, but it didn't. But it also held up well in the hot weather. Yeah. Um, but they did say it would still be very hot um, filming the uh, the scenes because it was April in California. <laughs> I can't. I I really can't imagine that as like I, he's walking know, around you, on the bridge and everything. Right. When you when you look at the scenes and and the scenes in the town and so forth, it's pretty amazing how they really gave it a feel as if you're in the winter time uh, in uh, in the Northeast. Yeah, they pulled uh, it they, off. They, they really did. It, it's pretty incredible how they uh, how they were able to do that. Uh, it, it's a it, it's the marvel of of um, of Hollywood. Uh, it pretty is. It's pretty incredible. Uh, but they uh, they said that they, you know, when they um, when they did uh, the movie, um, it they when they created Bedford Falls that it was actually the equivalent of um, three city blocks of stores and buildings in a residential neighborhood. Um, and uh, they planted um, oak trees everywhere uh, to give it a feel for, the, for a town. And uh, um, it was uh, the, the, so the, the, the new compound of the snow was a, a combination of water and snow snowflakes um, and sugar. And it created what was called a chemical snow for the film. Mm. And uh, what was done before, um, previously for movies um, to for snow, was uh, cornflakes. 
But yeah. what cornflakes used to do, it, it used to be, uh, used to make a loud noise when people stepped on it. Right. So the, the dialogue had to always be redubbed out, uh, afterwards, and it um, created a, a lot of um, extra work. But this, uh, this, this new compound, this new chemical snow that they came up with, um, actually worked out really well. Yeah, it looks very realistic. I, I thought. So yeah, they they started the film in April of '46, and they wrapped it up in July. So it was all throughout a, 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 a very warm period yeah. in in, uh, in L.A. Yeah. And um, Donna Reed plays plays the wife. Was she already pretty big at this point? Uh, she know, well Donna, known. No, Donna Reed was. Uh, no, she, I, she wasn't in a lot of movies at this point. Uh, she was, uh, she, you know, she was in some, uh, some movies, but she, you know, she had that Midwestern look. Mm. You know, she was from the Midwest, so she had that Midwestern look, which is the, you know, the girl next door, yeah, type yeah. of 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 look that they were look that they were looking for. Um, you know, there were other um, people that uh, that they um, that Frank Capra was looking uh, for in that movie, um, but he ended up um, going with Donna Reed because um, he really did feel that that was the that was the the, the look of the, the 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 girl next door that you would fall in love with, um, and you know that's why. Uh, that's how she ended up getting the part. It was it was really interesting. Um, however, Donna Reed was not the first one that did um, get offered the role. Um, the first one who was offered the role was the person who was co-starred with Jimmy Stewart in uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and another movie that he did with Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart. You can't take it with you. Uh, mm. Jean Jean Arthur was her name. Uh, but uh, but she um, she had uh, uh, recently dropped out of a Broadway sh- uh, show at the time from exhaustion, and uh, she was not in any condition. Did she need a break? To to want to uh, jump into a a movie role, and that's uh, and that's you know that's where the the fortuitous uh, situation for uh, Donna Reed came from. Okay, I saw that. Um there's uh, Potter is played by he has a last name Barrymore. Barrymore, which is a, a relative of, of Drew. Of Drew. Yep. Yeah, that's a family. I'm trying Same to family. pull up his first name, I don't. Yeah, um, Lionel. 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 Yeah, yeah. He he was in a lot of movies back in the day. I guess he uh, was in a wheelchair for the last portion of his career from an accident. Which and, I mean, and that was that was. I, I mean, he was in a movie in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, but he was a classic uh, Potter type guy in that movie. Oh my god, yeah, the was, guy that you just love to hate. He was a real jerk. So uh, he ends up getting that eight thousand dollars in the end, and that's never resolved. You know, it, in the end, it uh, well, it, it yeah, uh, I, I suppose if you were to, uh, if you were to do like the next day, 
type of thing. Actually, Saturday Night Live did a next day. And, oh, they, they, and they said, and they said, you know, they they were arrested Potter for taking the money and so forth. They, it was kind of funny how well, they what, did it. What generation of SNL did it? I, it was, uh, I want to say, within the last ten years. Oh, so it's newer. Yeah, okay. it's fairly new. Uh, maybe even within the last five years, as a matter of fact. Who was Potter? Do you know? Uh, I see, don't like, know. See, like Bill Hader. Trying I don't to do know. But, uh, yeah, part, I mean, he, he kept the money. He, and he knew that uh, uh, the brother, Billy, was the one that left it there, even though George came to Potter um, saying that he was the one that misplaced the money. And uh, so, uh, but in the end, all, all the money from the townspeople, that was... Uh, that was left on the table. That was more than enough to to cover the the bank loan, uh, and of course the money that was uh, that wired from uh, Sam Wainwright. Uh, that was going to cover anything that they were uh, were going to need. Was it twenty five thousand dollars? He was up to twenty five thousand, whatever they needed. Yeah. Oh my God. So at the time. That was a huge amount of money back in 1946. So, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see what the next day would look like with Potter, you know, because, uh, but nobody actually knew that Potter had the money right. except Potter. Right. And the, and the sleaze bag that would, was by his side that never said a word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stiff that never said a word. Yeah, uh, who Jimmy tells off when he leaves the office. Yeah, that goes for you too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it really is uh, it, it, it's an incredible story. It's a simple story, but it 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 takes on so many different layers of uh, meaning, um, and and that's why I think. It, it has remained so popular because people um, take it um, for their own purposes and how and what it means to them right and what and what level um, it means to them uh, uh, so uh, it's um, it, it, it it's it's just powerful and a very common premise that you you no matter what your life is about you still have had an effect on other people's lives and that and that's really what it talks about mm -hmm. yeah and kind of picked up uh you know the grass isn't always greener on the other side yeah and he, well. he never had he never got out uh, even though he, as a kid, he always wanted to to get out of town and explore and get out and see the world and be able to. Uh, hey, um, he had brochures to South America. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was yeah. look reading the National Geographic when he was a kid, mm -hmm. and I, I probably very early on when National Geographic was a publication. Uh, but he never, he never had a chance to get out of town, and 
and and that was a frustration for him and he watched everybody else do it right including his brother uh, but he wasn't able to do it and I think he it, it, it hit him when it, it finally he was trapped once again and it wasn't his own fault it was he was trapped by money missing but he represented the building and loan and he, there was no way out this time, and that's when he snapped. Right. And he just, he, he realized he couldn't get out of this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, this is a Christmas movie, and I feel like at least the first half of the movie doesn't take place on Christmas or no. anything. It's it's really at the very end that it's, yeah. it's Christmas. And it's just interesting because it's always played on Christmas. But, I mean, what a... Yeah, well, remember, it's a, it's a Christmas movie because it, it, it it's happening at Christmas time. But the majority of the movie is really to understand George Bailey. Yeah. And it's Clarence going through that um, lens of, oh, of right. understanding what who George Bailey is. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's kind of a unique way for uh, for the audience to, to have a chance to see what um, what George Bailey was all about. Uh, it was a very unique approach, I, th- I thought. Definitely was. And there are some people still alive from the movie, some of the kids, uh, Zuzu still alive I know that and then I believe there's one more I guess Tommy one of the Bailey childs is still alive oh yeah Tommy yeah oh, and it says uh, says Janie's still alive too looks like Pete passed away in 2009 oh there was one other um, interesting piece that I brought up to you Sam is that the scene in, at the high school uh, graduation where Mary was actually talking to someone and I think it might have been her date? Oh, yeah, it was, yeah. So that was Alfalfa in The Little Rascals, uh, a grown-up Alfalfa. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, I think people would notice him once you said that. Mm-hmm. I don't think people would notice that if you didn't say it. Right. Because uh, he's not in the scene very long, and it, and they don't show his face head on, straight on, so you wouldn't know that. And he certainly doesn't have the, the piece of hair in the middle sticking right. up like he did as, an, as a kid. But that was a grown-up alfalfa uh, uh, in that movie. And um, that was uh, that was actually one of the uh, one of the interesting um, trivial type questions that comes out of that movie. Yeah, because I don't think too many of the the little rascal kids went on to much afterwards. I kind of just assumed that was all they did. So I was I'm pretty shocked that, that was really him. No, they didn't. And and uh, he died um, rather mysteriously a few years later in the fifties. Under very mysterious circumstances, which is, I guess, kind of sad. Yeah, I was yeah. looking at some of the cast members. A lot of these people died young. Yeah, they died young. Yeah. 
you know, it's it's one of those movies that uh, it 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 didn't happen at first, uh, but boy, it really it just really uh, took off uh, uh, as the years um, became. Um, you know, when as more people, it was more of a buildup. It was word of mouth yeah, from more, TV. It was more of a buildup. Uh, TV reruns and yeah, everything. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I it, you know, it it got, uh, you know, I I I mean, the the movie of that year that really won all of uh, uh, of the of the acclaim. Was know? it best years of our lives? Yeah, the best years of our okay. life. And and I've I've seen that movie. And that actually was a that was a good movie. Uh, yeah, I actually watched uh, because that. it w- it really talked about the you know the uh, what servicemen had to go through uh, as they um, re uh, as a reentry back into society, mm-hmm. and it wasn't easy. You know, here, you know, they were commanders in in the service, and then they basically go back to like clerk jobs. Right. Uh, and it's very hard for them to to realize that they you know they were now being told to do things where they were uh, the exact opposite in the service. Right. Um, so and 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 then, and then there were people who were maimed. You know, they were missing body parts and so forth. Yeah, the and, one guy was missing a hand. Yeah, very difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was actually a. a, a uh, a very real depiction of you know servicemen coming back to America after the war, so there was I don't take anything away from that. I really don't. Right. Um, when was the first time you saw it? Do you remember watching it as a kid? I, as a kid, I re, I just remember seeing um, uh, an old black and white movie that had little kids in it, and I could tell that this was a really interesting story. But I don't remember watching the whole movie. After the kids' scene ended, I I lost interest in it when it when it turned into the uh, about the adults, mm-hmm. you know, because the beginning was about kids, you know, and right. the, and when they were, you know, going going you know sledding down the hill on mm-hmm. on shovels, which is kind of interesting. They using shovels to sled down, uh, but I I it wasn't until. Uh, many years later that I actually paid more attention to it as, as as what this movie was really about. Yeah, and this is the first time I watched it all the way through before it would just be... I feel like a lot of times me coming home and seeing you. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is an emotional wreck. Yeah. No matter how many times you watch it, it it's still... It still grips you um, because of the the message of of what it does in the end, and the scene that always gets me is when they when they the camera just scans over all the people in town, mm-hmm. and you think back at the uh, during the movie when each of them had uh, an encounter with George or George um, had some connection with them. Um, it's very powerful. Yeah. And, it's so powerful. Yeah, and that and that and that's when you realize um, you know, the effect that he had on each of their lives. So 
it's pretty it's pretty amazing that uh that you know you, he didn't see that you know he had to he had to to look at it in a different angle yeah in order to really understand you it. had to see what was in front of him and appreciate what he had but boy he when once he realized that he he knew exactly what he had mm-hmm even though he thought he was going to go to jail. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of this stuff is still very relevant, you know. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, nothing's too dated. Like, you're still using banks and everything. Yeah, no. No, uh, the cars, uh, the cars are a lot older than I thought it would be in 46. Although, uh, you know, a lot of the movie is... A lot of the movie is uh, from, uh, you know, the 20s and 30s, and then it's really at the very end that it's supposed to be right at the end of the war. But, uh, you know, when you look at the cars, I think the cars still look very old in that movie. You don't see a lot of the new cars. You don't see the cars that I know of from the 40s. Still like the car he's driving. That's probably from the thirties. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't even think he had windows in that car, for God's sakes. I guess it wasn't too wealthy of a town, so they didn't have the, no, the I, yeah, new maybe, nice cars. May, I, or, or uh, I mean, he, that was one of the things that he that he would look at his car, and you know, one of the comments that his his son made when uh, when he was back home after. After, you know, losing the money and trying to figure out what to do, his son said, hey, you know, the next door neighbors just bought a new car. And he said, well, is there something wrong with our car? You know? <laughs> so. You ever ride in one of those, like, 1930s no, cars when you were a kid? Were I they not did. around by the 60s? No. Uh, they were gone. <laughs> yeah, they were gone. Unless somebody had a hot rod like that. No, I don't. I don't remember those. No, the the the, uh, the the only ones that I remember, like, were fifties cars that were like taxis. Taxis still use cars that were from the fifties. Oh, okay. Uh, and then they slowly went out. Fascinating. That's all I remember. Any other uh, trivia you got before we wrap it up? Uh, I'd imagine this is in the National Film Registry. Hmm. No, well, Jimmy Stewart said that it was uh, it was one of his favorite movies that he uh, ever made. Uh, Frank Capra has said that it is um, his favorite movie that he did ever make. It is number eleven on the American Film Institute's greatest movies list. Uh, number twenty on the greatest movies list. Uh, of one uh, from the a list that was done in in two thousand seven, number one on the list of the most imp- inspirational American films of all time. Uh, Frank Capra, I think I alluded to this, revealed that it was his favorite film among the films he directed, and he screened it for his family every Christmas. Oh wow! Yep. He did a lot of movies. Frank Capra did a lot of movies, but for some reason, this was the movie that really had a lot, a lot more message than others. 
glad we finally got to watch the yeah. whole thing together. It, yeah. It took all these years. That's right. Took long enough. Have you on for another one? Another yeah. classic. Glad to do it. Yeah. Thank you, Sam.